The FDA recently approved the PCSK9 inhibitors alirocumab and evolocumab for treating certain kinds of hyperlipidemia. Their price tag, about $14,000 a year, has drawn scrutiny, in part because the drugs have broad indications and are intended to be taken indefinitely. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Kevin Schulman, a professor of medicine and of business administration at Duke University. Dr. Schulman has co-authored a perspective article about how the use of PCSK9 inhibitors may affect U.S. insurance premiums. Dr. Schulman, as you note in your article, a number of expensive specialty pharmaceuticals have been introduced in recent years. How has the reaction to these PCSK9 inhibitors compared with what we've seen with sofosbuvir or the newest cancer drugs, for example? One of the things about the idea of a biologic for cholesterol treatment that really struck us is how many patients could be eligible for this therapy. So in cancer, we've seen very, very expensive therapies, $100,000 a year or more. But generally, the number of patients who might be treated with those drugs is fairly limited. When you look at cholesterol treatment, even if you say patients refractory to current therapy, there's a potential chance that millions of people could be candidates for therapy, and that's a staggering economic impact. So speaking of economic impact, patients will probably face some degree of cost-sharing with these drugs. Do you think that the coinsurance rates are going to be high enough to limit the patient pool to the people who actually are most likely to benefit? In the United States right now, patients are responsible for some share of the payment for biologics through coinsurance. A lot of insurance companies are going to have pretty aggressive coinsurance policies around these medicines so that patients might have to pay 20 or 25% of the cost as a way of really trying to make sure that utilization is only for patients where the therapy is indicated. But at the same time, the manufacturers have begun a series of programs around couponing and patient assistance programs to help reduce the impact of these policies on individual out-of-pocket payment. You say in your article that the introduction of these PCSK9 inhibitors raises questions about whether the prevention of cardiovascular disease is going to remain an insurable benefit. How do you see that issue playing out once these drugs become widely available? The idea of a biologic as a prevention really calls into question the whole concept of insurance. So if you think about your homeowner's insurance, you might be paying $1,000 for every $250,000 in value. That's pretty reasonable price. That's because something happened to your house would be really financially catastrophic to you as an individual, but fortunately it's very rare. And it's also not influenced by the individual. You don't make a choice to hurt your house to get the homeowner's insurance benefit. In healthcare, we're actually asking people both to prepay for expected expenses and to buy catastrophic insurance. And that's why health insurance is so much more expensive than your homeowner's insurance. Now, if you think about, again, going back to cholesterol, a good proportion of this country are gonna have expenditures for cholesterol treatment. They're at risk for cardiovascular disease. And so it's no longer insurance, it's prepayment, but prepayment of a very large expenditure for a very large proportion of the population And so the question is, is that a coverable benefit? Can we finance that through insurance? And I think this drug is really going to raise that question. In an accompanying perspective article, Everett and colleagues write that statin intolerance, which is one of the proposed reasons for switching a patient to a PCSK9 inhibitor, appears to be overdiagnosed. Do you think that insurers are going to start questioning that diagnosis in order to limit the number of patients eligible for these new drugs? Well, the insurers actually just yesterday came out Express Scripts talking about their program of prior authorization to make sure that they only get appropriate patients for therapy, but there's not really a lab test for statin intolerance. 
And so it's going to be really hard to be very aggressive about that as a pre-existing condition. If I have muscle pains and aches or if it's a bad day out, is it my statin or am I just out of shape? That's a very, very hard determination to make. What's going to be the impact of these prices on the insurance premiums of everyone in the country? What are we all going to be paying for this? I talked to one of my colleagues in cardiology and I asked him the question, how much would you pay for other people to have access to this drug? to some extent, the measure of value. And he offered up that it was probably worth $5 for him to know that other people can have access to this drug in his insurance pool. We actually calculated it at pretty modest adoption rates that the, each of us are going to be paying about $124 in our health insurance premiums for other people to have access to this drug. That's both for you, your spouse, and each of your kids. So the impact of these biologics on our health insurance premiums, on our health care costs, are going to be felt as we have more and more of these products introduced into the market. You say in your article that the healthcare market is nearly unique in fostering demand that seems to be impervious to price escalation. What approaches to addressing the pricing power of pharmaceutical firms do you think are most likely to succeed? Well, in the article, we point out a couple of things. So this idea that we have a market where we've seen prices over the last couple of years we've just never seen before. And one of the things that we have to observe is that there's really no natural tension in the market or very little natural tension. If your water company tried to increase the price of water or the electric company tried to increase the price of power, consumers would respond, people would get upset. There are factors in the market to try and balance the idea of how much can manufacturers get for a price and how much are consumers willing to pay. And we seem right now not to have an ability for the market to correct itself. And so there's very, very little tension between setting a price and expecting insurance to cover it or forcing insurance to cover it or forcing our public programs like Medicare and Medicaid to cover it. I think there are lots of ways in which we can restore that balance. The most aggressive ways are to have the government negotiate directly for the price of drugs with or without a cost-effectiveness criteria. We could do things like reference pricing and say, what is the price in other markets like Germany? As we point out in the article, in, in other markets, these therapies are much lower priced. So I think there are some tools available. But the other thing we point out in the article is we also have to recognize that we've created an industry, an innovation industry, that's very dependent on these pricing models. And so we need to understand how it is that we attract capital for investment in life sciences and personalized medicine in a way that's affordable. We can't have $100,000 therapies for every single person in the country as we go down these paths. We have to figure out a way that we can actually take innovation out of laboratory, attract capital with a reasonable return, but then also have reasonable prices in the market. So how do regulators strike that balance between ensuring that medications are affordable while still encouraging innovation? I think that's going to be a matter that we should be all debating. It's very clear that the prices that we're seeing over the last couple of years are not sustainable over a long period of time. One of the newspapers said, well, this new category of drugs might be $10 billion a year in additional expenses, $100 billion over 10 years. We have to realize that that's how much we're paying right now for angioplasty in the United States. So if this was a perfect substitute, that'd be great. But if it's not, it's increasing costs fairly dramatically. But we're seeing these prices over and over and over again in very, very different categories. So we tolerated them for a very long time in the very, very ultra-orphan markets. 
then they moved into oncology, and now they're moving into antivirals, but now into cardiovascular prevention, everyday therapies. And that's just not sustainable. Finally, and to come back to the PCSK9 inhibitors, given that there are still questions about the clinical benefits and questions about the side effects of having very low cholesterol levels, how do you think physicians should approach the decision, prescribe them, don't prescribe them? Well, I think actually the companion article to this does a good job of laying out the science. So clearly there are no long-term outcome studies. We don't know if these drugs reduce cardiovascular events. And so that's a huge question. Are you treating cholesterol? Are you treating cardiovascular events for your patients? There are safety issues. There are these huge cost issues. And so I think we need to make sure that only the most appropriate people become candidates for these therapies. If you look at the trials, there were some patients recruited who had familial hypercholesterolemia. That might be a great indication, but that was a very, very small proportion of the patients in these studies. Since these studies have been published, we've had new data on treatment of hypertension in the elderly that reduced cardiovascular events by 25%. We still have a ways to go in terms of smoking cessation. And so we also need to think about how do we balance reduction in cardiovascular risk and how much is cholesterol really going to drive improvements in outcomes. Thank you, Dr. Shulman.